chapter 1, verse 18, and I'm going to read down through verse 25. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So throughout the word of God, we can see the Lord has called individuals, he's called families, and he's called nations unto himself to do his work. But only a certain percentage responded to the call and were chosen. Scripture says that many are called and few are chosen. What allowed God to choose Mary and Joseph? Why Mary? Why Joseph? Why those two? Well, let's begin in Matthew's account. In the first chapter, you know, we have to understand and realize that when God chose Joseph to be the earthly father of his only begotten son, that was quite a responsibility to place on any man's shoulders. That was no small task. And so he had to pick someone and he had to call someone and he had to qualify someone so they could be chosen And this individual ended up being Joseph. Now, Joseph, like any of us, could have recognized the call and then really not responded in a way that he was chosen. But Joseph responded according to the call that God had placed upon him. And we can learn a lot about Joseph and who he is as a person and some of his background. And maybe that will help us to understand at times, you know, why is it that God chooses to use certain people more than other people. I can think of my, uh, uh, as a a real simple example, we know that God is no no respecter of persons. God shows no partiality. He loves us all the same. But why is it that some people seem to be more at home, to be more at ease, to be more comfortable with accepting the call of God and following his path and God using them in a way that he receives the glory. A good example of this is uh, the Reverend Billy Graham. He had no lineage in the faith. He was uh, born and raised in North Carolina, the son of a sharecropper. Tobacco was the money crop in North Carolina in those days. And yet he was someone at a young age that was in love with the word of God and was enthralled with learning, especially about spiritual matters. It was said of him by his peers that he was aloof, that he was strange, that he was different than all of the other boys his same age. He wasn't interested in the same things that they were interested in. The adults called him a dreamer. 
They called him someone that was disconnected from reality. And yet God, in his wisdom and in his providence and in his sovereignty, not only called Billy Graham, he chose Billy Graham. But there's a reason that he chose Billy Graham. While Billy Graham identified the call to serve the Lord, he also went through the process of being proven and chosen. And so it is in the life of Joseph. If we just read this on the surface, we can just say, well, Joseph was probably one of those eligible bachelors at the time, and you know, and uh, seemed like a, a reasonably good guy and uh, was okay. You know, our modern culture has really dumbed down uh, as far as character uh, qualities for someone to pick a spouse. I, I mean, when you get married on TV or you find your spouse through some weird TV program, it just shows how far our society in the Western world has slipped away from the sacredness of marriage and from the values of marriage and what makes a, a marriage work and what matters when it comes to marriage and picking a spouse and having someone that you are committed to all the days of your life till death do you part. Thick and thin, heaven or hell, you're sticking with it. You're walking through it together. And now, there, there are some things that we're going to get into tonight that are from the writings of Josephus. Josephus was an early church historian. Uh, I've read probably to get ready for this study probably over 200 pages of some of his documented historical writings, which is really fascinating because it not only deals with Mary and Joseph, it, it goes back into their lineage and it deals with their parents and their grandparents and how they got to where they were so that God could get them ready for what he had for them. And, and sometimes we think that our life sort of just unfolds and that, you know, it just happens by happenstance or coincidence, you know, maybe, uh, you know, lightning in a bottle kind of theology, you know, just right place, right time and when it comes to God's plan for our life, it's not lightning in a bottle. It just doesn't happen here and there or happenstance. It's intentional. You know, God is a good steward of every season in our, of our life and every circumstance and is molding and shaping us even before we ever know him. I can look back at my own life and I can see things that, that I experienced and went through that helped shape and mold and form me into the person that I needed to be even before I became a Christian. There were certain life lessons that I learned. There were certain experiences that I walked through that helped shape me, that helped prepare me, to help, I would even say, position me to be more aware of when God actually was speaking to me. And, and, I, and I, I don't think that certain people came into my life accidentally. I don't think certain people came into your life accidentally when it comes to the divine providence of God. I, I don't think I come into certain people's life or you come into certain people's lives today accidentally. I, I don't think that's accidentally. I, I think with every relationship, whether it's short-term or long-term, there is a divine thread woven through that relationship if we'll be sensitive enough to pay attention to it. And it may just be that we're planting a seed or watering a seed, but whether we're planting or watering, we're trusting God to bring the harvest. 
And so as we look into Joseph's life and into Mary's life for a few minutes this evening and we, we study and, and see some of the things that Scripture has to say uh, that had to be required in order for them to become who they were in the plan and the purpose of God. I hope you see God's hand in your life to some degree. That's my prayer is that somehow tonight, this wouldn't be the story of just Joseph and Mary. This would somehow be an awareness, oh, wow, that was the Lord in my life. That season in my life, that was him positioning me. That was him preparing me. That was him getting me ready. That, that, that relationship that happened 10 years ago, that wasn't an accident. That conversation that someone had with me that planted a seed or watered a seed, that, that wasn't just something that a nice person did because they felt obligated because of their religious convictions to say something. Are you with me? And so sometimes we just handle life a little too loosely. We, we're not meant to be rigid and stoic like the Greeks. And at the same time, we're not meant to be crazy and, and out of control like the Romans. We're, we're called to be Christians, which means more like Christ. I also want to say this as just a means of uh, encouragement to you. You know, when we get together as a body of believers, we are to have expressions of worship. Wouldn't it be a, a shame if we just felt like the, the biggest part of our gathering was to hear a lecture or a speech or a talk? Wouldn't it be more appropriate if worship was really worship? And this would be a good time for the worshipers to say, Amen. Amen. Let's do that again. This would be a good time for the worshipers to say, Amen. I was trying to lead you into that very subtly. And so do I need to be more direct, not circle the wagons? Wouldn't it be more beneficial if you interacted instead of just saying, this is a time where I listen and learn? No, this is a time where you say, Amen, that's true for me. So be it unto me. That's mine. I believe that. Could it make a difference in the depth of your relationship and your devotion to Jesus? I I think it does. I think that interaction is part of what God is looking for from his people. Not just people that sit and are well-mannered and well-groomed and well-behaved and have good hygiene practices but those that interact and interface in an environment where his spirit is working. And we're going to see all of these things that I'm talking about interwoven now into this person called Joseph. Joseph was a unique person. He was someone who knew and loved God. We understand that he was a humble man. We can see through the writings in Scripture that he was faithful, that he was merciful. I think this is one of the most endearing qualities about Joseph is because at a time where he could have separated himself from Mary, he was very merciful towards Mary. The time where he couldn't comprehend what Mary was saying to him and it it really, you know, probably struck a blow to his ego He paused, he pulled back, and he was merciful. Do you know mercy triumphs over judgment? 
When Joseph could have had a knee-jerk reaction, could have ruined a relationship, and could have forfeited the opportunity to be chosen by God. But he didn't. And one of the things that I've learned throughout the years is that the Jewish children were well-versed in Scripture. The home was a safe haven where they were taught the things of God. Where Scripture was a part of their conversations around meals. Whenever they gathered for the seven feasts that the Jewish people celebrated on a yearly basis, it was all around remembering Scripture and the pilgrimage they had taken as God's people to where they were at this time in history. They are rooted and grounded in the word of God. And so when they have these divine interruptions in their life with Gabriel, who is one of the three archangels, who is mighty and a great messenger from God. Gabriel is the archangel that brings messages straight from the father to an individual here on the earth. For Gabriel to show up at someone's house is a big deal. That's a big deal. And yet when Gabriel spoke, there was an awareness that Gabriel spoke things of which they knew. He wasn't giving them revelation. He was giving them an assignment. He was saying, this is your assignment. You are now called to fulfill this assignment. This is the path God has for you. This is the purpose for which you're here. That was no small potatoes. I, I, I find it to be more than disturbing. Can I have just a moment here just to let you know what's disturbing me? I find it more than disturbing in today's Christendom that people make such frivolity of divine encounters. As if they happen every day. Certain TV ministers having divine revelations and a word from the Lord every day, every other day. You're like, that is dangerous to follow those kind of people. Not only do they take lightly that God would visit man in such a powerful and personal way. They use it to merchandise their wares. And to sell it for their own gain's sake. Wow. Have they no fear of God? Have they no understanding of holy matters? Does that bother anybody else? There's just something that just doesn't register with a person who walks with God daily. Who understands the values of Christ-like character. Of humility. Never putting ourselves above anybody else of pliable and teachableness, of, of, of faithfulness, of mercy. I believe that God speaks to people. I have, I have those, those encounters in my own life. But I don't know that you handle it and I should handle it as if, like, yeah, yeah, God talked to me and he told me this. I, 
I think there needs to be much more reverence. It should lead to obedience, not to, hey, God, talk to me. That the, to me, the, the issue isn't that God talks to us. It's what we do with what he says. I think God talks to all of us. And I, I think we know it's him many times. And if not, he'll confirm it because he wants us to know it's him. It's sort of like when the kids get at an age in a home where they learn how to play mom against dad. And they say, right, I'll go ask mom or I'll go ask dad. When mom and dad are on the same page, they only confirm one another. What did your father say? The, the wife would ask. And the child would say, they said this. Well, then that's what I would say. It's not a revelation to the child. It's a confirmation. And so it is with God. When God speaks to us, if we don't know it's him, he'll bring someone else into our life. And through that someone else, what happens is we have an awareness. That was God talking to me. Have you ever had that happen to you? Yeah. I've told you the story, and it's worth repeating briefly, that I served with a pastor that was prejudiced against black women. And, and really would openly sometimes say that. And I would be like, well, it's a reason we don't have black women in the church. So <laughs> regardless, you can laugh because that is funny. Uh, but to show you God's sense of humor, God put him in an elevator with a black woman who was a believer. And the elevator got stuck in between floors. It gets even more humorous. He's wondering why he's in this situation. And she begins to tell him. Needless to say, he is no longer prejudiced against black women. It's just the same way that God got rid of the prejudice out of Peter. Peter was a bigot and a prejudiced individual. And he was so proud of it. He said, I would never eat anything unclean until one day God said, shut your mouth. Don't you ever say what I've cleansed is unclean and gave him a metaphorical picture that God loves the Gentiles as much as he loves the Jews. By giving him a beautiful illustration of what? What was Peter? A fisherman of a net drawing in many different kinds of creatures from the sea. Sometimes we need to be reminded that God speaks to us in ways that we know at the end that was God speaking to me. And it's not a small thing. It's not. So Joseph. Joseph was... A spiritually attuned to the voice of the Lord. And here's one of the qualities about Joseph that I think is very endearing to all of us. He was very quick to obey. He was very quick to obey. He was in the household of David, so that fulfilled a messianic prophecy that the Messiah would come through the lineage of David. He lived in the correct city. He had a vocation that could provide for his family. Can we talk about his vocation for a minute? 
he was known as a carpenter. And we think sometimes that he had a little shop on the side of his house and, you know, maybe the way that we have a shop in our home, maybe the way that Larry Birds has a shop down in his basement, that you know, and he manufactured furniture for the, the children of the area. He, be, he built little chairs for little people or he built coffee tables or, or dining room tables. And that's not what Scripture has to say about that word carpenter at all. It's, it, it, this is how it's translated into the English language from the Greek understanding, artesian craftsman. He could work with any type of material and create a beautiful, functional piece of furniture or a dwelling place. So he could work with metal. He could work with stone. He could work with wood. He could work with any type of material. And he had the ability to make it a beautiful work of art. How many of you have seen really nice furniture, handcrafted furniture, and you're like, wow, that's, what do we say when we see a piece like that? It's one of a kind. That's what an artesian craftsman did, one of a kind. They didn't put it on an assembly line and just duplicate it. It was stamped, handcrafted by them, one of a kind. It usually fit the design of a room or a theme of a building. And so it was very specific. They worked with those that were engineers and architects in the day. So they were intelligent. They had a background educationally in school. So there was an apprenticeship that they walked through in order to become a classified artesian craftsman. It wasn't something that happened lightly. There was a process of them being proven. They couldn't just... You know, two years in school, we'll give your diploma and now go out and get a not, you know, and, and start your own business. They had to go through the process correctly in order for them to be accepted as an artesian craftsman. And so Joseph, Joseph was a man with tremendous skills. And because of that, he was paid well for the work that he did. He was paid well for the work that he did. This brings another caveat into the story. Sometimes we forget that Mary's parents are like every parent who has a daughter. Every parent in here who has a daughter. Do you want your daughter to marry someone who has no skills or who has lots of skills and and can take good care of her? And the answer is, Lots of skills, lots of skills. When God called and chose Joseph, it was because he could provide for Mary. Not only Mary and Jesus, but we know of at least four brothers that Jesus had that are listed in the Gospels and at least two sisters. So there was at least seven siblings in this household. Do you think Joseph could have provided for them apart from having a vocation or a skill that would provide for a family of seven? Right. So we're learning a little bit more about Joseph. So of the lineage of David, he's in the right city. Now, let me share with you the city that Joseph grew up in. 
He grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth in the Hebrew language is known as a root or a branch, which is the fulfillment of Isaiah 11.1. From of the root or of the branch of Jesse shall come forth one who will bear fruit. So when Nazarenes were chosen or Nazareth was was the the uh, home or the dwelling place of Joseph it was a it was a small village in Galilee no more than the the largest the city ever was where it swelled in population was 500 but typically it was a sleepy community a bed and bath community that sort of sent workers out to surrounding villages and cities that were much larger but it typically had between 120 and 250 people. That was the size of Nazareth. And therefore, this is why when Jesus was being affirmed publicly, people would say, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Why would they say that? Because most people don't believe that big things or God things or good things can come from small, insignificant places. But have you ever thought about the story of Scripture? The book of Corinthians says, Not many noble, not many just, not many wise, according to the flesh, are chosen. So we're answering the question, why, why would God choose Joseph? Why Mary? Why Bethlehem? It was because they met certain criteria and they passed certain tests. And the tests they passed, they didn't even know they were passing them till after they were chosen. Isn't that the way it usually happens in life? You're living life. You're doing the things you're supposed to do because they're the right thing to do before God. Not to get anything from God. Not to get a promotion. Not to be seen by men. Not to be recognized. But for the very simple fact, it's the right thing to do before God. And then at the end, God chooses you to do something that is overwhelming, that is humbling, that is awe-inspiring, that requires faith. But that didn't happen because we were noble or wise or just in the flesh. It happened because we were humble in spirit. Joseph was this man, a very unique man in Nazareth. Here's a fun historical fact about Nazareth also. It was governed by Herod the Great. All the Herods in the New Testament are horrible people. I mean, they're just really bad. You would not want to have them over for dinner. They were not good company. It was Herod the Great, and he ruled from the city of Jerusalem. You remember, he wanted Jesus to be killed. He actually put a hit out on Jesus. And uh, later, this Galilean region where Nazareth uh, was located would uh, be divided into three jurisdictions and Herod's three sons, which are Archelaus, Philip, and Antipas, would rule this area. And all three of those Herods are mentioned in the New Testament. And all of them are what I put in this category. These are the Herods from hell. These are not nice people. These are horrible individuals. These are narcissistic, selfish, 
totally immersed in 100% their way of living and doing things. These are not, these are not godly people, not God-fearing people. These are, as a matter of fact, Jesus called Herod the Great a fox, and that was not a compliment. Like, I call Charlene foxy, which means that she's really sweet and nice, right? When he called Herod a fox, what he was saying is that you're a thief and you are filled with infection. That's what foxes were known as in the middle, that they were, they would come in and they would steal. They were thieves and that they were infested with bugs. And he said of Herod, this is Jesus' testimony about Herod. So when I say he's not a nice guy, that's not my opinion. I'm taking Jesus' word for it. Jesus said, Herod, you're a fox. You, you are the lowest of the low, and you're full of worms, or whatever he said, something like that. Not a very high compliment, but a good character analysis. So Joseph was this carpenter, this craftsman in the right city, at the right place, had the right character qualities, you know, governed by crazy, crazy governance. And yet he lived a godly life. He knew the word of God. He loved the word of God. And this is where Joseph probably worked. There was a community four miles away called Sipporah. Sipporah was a flourishing town, four miles away from, from Nazareth. It was a town of 30,000 people, and uh, it, is, it is a community that is growing exponentially because Harold, uh, Herod sent one of his son, Archibus, there to make the city famous. So it had a lot of funding, government funding, and through that government funding, it began to grow. It was known as the Jewel of Galilee. So... Joseph, we also know, passed on his skills to Jesus. Jesus, in the writing of the New Testament, is not known as a carpenter. In the Greek, it's called the carpenter. In other words, in Nazareth, there was not a better artesian craftsman than Jesus. And this is, this is what people said about Jesus when he proclaimed that he was the Messiah. Why didn't you stick with becoming the greatest artesian craftsman the world has ever known. The testimony of Josephus' writings about Jesus' reputation in his own hometown is he has lost his mind. He threw away a career path that would have made him the greatest artesian craftsman in the history of the world, all to try to save the world. And he did. And that's why Paul chose this phrase in Ephesians 2.10. Listen to this. And you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Who do you think is the artesian craftsman that's working in your heart and my heart right now? Who do you think is doing all the intricate work in our life? Who do you think is weaving the story of Christ-likeness in our heart right now? the greatest artesian craftsman that chose to be the greatest savior of the world. There's a wonderful amount of nuggets in the story of Christmas, isn't there? 
I think I would have chosen Joseph. Hey, Doug, who do you want on your team? Joseph. I want Joseph. Who else do I want? I want Mary. I want Mary. Let's read here quickly about Mary. Okay? Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 26 through 24. And it says, Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God, sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for what you, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth the son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the throne of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there there will be no end and mary said to the lord how can this be since i do not know a man and the angel answered and said to her the holy spirit will come upon you the power of the highest will overshadow you therefore also the holy one who is to be born will be called the son of god now indeed elizabeth your relative has also conceived a son in her own age in her old age and is now uh, and, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be me, unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So a little bit of a historical background on Mary's parents. They were Joka, Joachim and Anna. Uh, uh, Mary was raised uh, the first half of her life in the city of Jerusalem. And then uh, Joachim, because of his occupation, he was a scroll scholar. We would say that he was a man that oversaw the scribes. Um, and so he was a man of the word of God. Uh, he moved and he relocated to the city of Sephora, four miles away from Nazareth. Now, some people say that's a career move, but remember, it's not just happenstance it's not just a career move it's God orchestrating and moving everybody into their rightful place Mary was brought up by her parents with a deep respect for God's word the Josephus uh, documentation from Jerusalem shows that after the days of purification that that Mary was taken into the synagogue or the temple and she was dedicated before the Lord the parents brought the acceptable sacrifice and so her parents were committed to bringing her up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. From a young age, she knew the scripture. And this is a fun caveat. She was probably only 12 and a half to 14 years of age at this season in her life. That's how innocent and young she was. And yet, I mean, she had great maturity and she had a great knowledge and depth within her of the plan and the purpose of God for her life. Uh, when the angel said that, found her in Nazareth. So how she goes from Jerusalem to Sephora to Nazareth. How'd she get to Nazareth? Well, Josephus says that Joseph, when Mary's parents moved to Sephora, did work for them. Now, I don't think that's by accident. So Joseph gets hired as an artesian craftsman by Mary's parents and they begin to say, you know what? This could be a good setup. 
But it wasn't their responsibility in that day, in that culture, to arrange the marriage. It's the groom's parents' responsibility to arrange the marriage. So, like all smart parents, they get with other parents. And so they got with Joseph's parents, and they set up an arrangement. And the arrangement was for them to be married. But before they were married, they had to go through the being betrothed or espoused, which is much more intense than an engagement. What it is is the bride actually moves to where the groom lives, stays with the family for one year in separate quarters. There's no intimacy, no sexuality in this relationship. And they ascertain and qualify whether they are compatible for one another during that whole year. Can I say the Jews do a lot of things really well, including premarital counseling? I have seen it throughout my years that people that don't get counseling and get ongoing counseling end up having catastrophes sometimes in their marriages. Not always, but it's amazing. So this was the blessing of the Lord. Mary was also of the lineage and the household of David. It wasn't just that Joseph was of the household of David. So was Mary. Both of them were of this covenant line of which the Messiah would come through. Mary, can you imagine parents 12 and a half to 14 years of age and trusting your daughter to go off and to live with another family? I mean, society as we know it today in the Western world, this this is like, this is like, we would say this is child abuse, negligence. You're, and, and this, though, this is the kind of faith these people had. This is tremendous faith. So after all of these arrangements took place, um, the angel showed up in Nazareth. Can you imagine, you know, Mary now having to share this news? But God in his compassion gave her someone to go to who could comfort her, her cousin Elizabeth, to say, I was never supposed to be pregnant. You're not supposed to be pregnant. Not at this time. You're betrothed. You shouldn't be doing this. And then... Elizabeth, the divine appointment for Mary says, you know, it's God with me. It's got to be God with you. What, if it wasn't God for me, couldn't be God for you. If God didn't intervene in my life, I wouldn't be carrying a son. If God didn't intervene in your life, you wouldn't be carrying a son. Isn't it amazing that just the right time, God sends just the right messengers into our lives? When we don't think anyone understands us, no one can identify with us, no one gets us, God sends just the right person and says, if it's God with me, it's got to be God with you. You tell your story and people that you wonder if anyone's going to believe you and you say, no, no, it's God. And they'll say, yeah, it is God because I know because God did the same thing for me, different ways, but same God. I'm so thankful that God is compassionate like that. Because 
Without that, we would get discouraged. We would get downcast. We would probably become depressed. But because of God's sovereignty, his foreknowledge, his goodness, he orchestrates it. And then we, we look back, and I'm stopping with this. We look back and we say, that was God. Not my script. Not the way I, I would have wrote the story. But that was God. And that is part of the wonder and the beauty and the awe of the Christmas story. This wasn't Mary's or Joseph's plan. This was God's plan. And at the end, they probably said, his plan wins. It works best. It was right. But it wasn't easy. And it never is. It's always going to be a challenge for our flesh. It's always going to be hard. But in the end, we'll be glad that we obeyed. We'll be glad that we trusted in the Lord. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.